Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Tavon Mason, who the best way to describe him is he's more than an athlete. He's a retired NFL player. He's doing some amazing stuff in the Baltimore area. I think you're going to feel inspired. And more importantly, you're going to start to think about what you can be doing to make an impact on the community around you. Sit tight. Here comes your good advice. Hey, thanks for checking out another episode of the podcast. I'm sitting down with Tavon Mason. Man, this guy is a philanthropist. He's an all-around guy. He's a coach. He's a former NFL player. He's also a motivational speaker. I'm excited to bring you Tavon Mason here today. Tavon, thank you for being here. No, Blake, thank you for uh, answering my, uh, my, my message on LinkedIn, allowing me to come on the podcast, man. This is, this is incredible. Hey, well, I am honored to have you. I'm just reading through your bio and uh, man, saying that word philanthropist, that's a tough word to enunciate. So you got your work cut out for you. Oh yeah. yeah. Just reading through your bio, man, you, you have been a very involved person. It feels like, man, you've gone from one thing to the next in terms of just really influencing people in a positive way. Yeah, I just, um, I, I said it uh, on a Saturday um, when I was being honored here in Baltimore for the uh, Champions of Courage Award that uh, I just felt that God put it on me to help other people. Um, and I didn't want to kind of like veer away from that. I, I believe sometimes some people dodge their calling because they don't, they, they look at that monetary value sometimes. And uh I, I tried that, <laughs> but I, I circled back around to want to help people. So, and here I am, you know, trying to help people, whether it's my community or communities outside of the uh, city and state, city of Baltimore and the state of Maryland. So tell me, man, I'm just going to put you right on the spot, literally like right off the bat. So <laughs> no mercy here, man. So it feels like everyone really rallies around this idea of giving back, having influence, having impact. But then you have the group of people who actually are paying the price, so to speak, you know, who are actually getting out there, actually serving, you know, what is it that causes someone to sort of awaken that hunger to actually go and do? Um, I think is in, in the way you put it is awesome because I believe you do have some people who do it to earn their stripes for the public mm. as far as the social media, as far as uh, I did this as far as to having their face on flyers and, you know, to get awards and, and, and things like that. I don't know if it's to help, um, to help their ego, to help them feel better about themselves. Uh, then you have some people that really just, you know, they're tired of seeing what's going on. And instead of the, instead of sitting and waiting for the, I call it the powers that be like your, your state official governors and stuff like that. It's like, how about we get out and rally around and let's get this thing rolling. And, I think, and that's how I took it on. I took it on as I'm going to hit the gas pedal in my lane and for other lanes I'm not in 
And if it deals with people who I'm connected with, I'll help them with their lane and, and mm. being selfish about it. I believe sometimes, and I've seen it as well. Uh, some people want the glory, but they don't really want to help each other. They wanted to be say, Oh yeah, I was there. Uh, or, <laughs> you know, they're getting the pictures and take the pictures instead of really doing the dirt. And I, I believe also that something strikes a person, whether it's something that happened to them um, personally or something that they seen happen. And it just like something just clicks and like, I'm, I'm tired of saying this. Well, I want to see this do better. And they just mm-hmm. hit the gas pedal. So I, man, I, I love how you put that too. It's, you're almost talking about like a, um, it, it's like an ownership over your own ability to make a difference rather than waiting on someone to like get you in the game, so to speak. And I got a great story for you. There was a, an old, there's an old story of a guy who was attending church and really was kind of bothered by the fact that the church wasn't getting involved in the community, you know, wasn't really like passionate about the poor, wasn't really serving the community around it. And so this guy goes to the pastor and, uh, oh, actually what he does, he goes to like his fellow congregation and he says, Hey, like we should like really get after this. Like, what are we waiting on? Well, his fellow congregation, his fellow church members, they go, oh, well, you know, that's really kind of the pastor's job to sort of shepherd that initiative, you know, to really cast that vision and just get people engaged. Well, so he goes to the pastor and says the same thing. He's like, man, I really want to see us serve and help and just come alive in our community. And the pastor goes, oh, well, you know, my job is just to like preach from the pulpit. That's really the congregation's job to really get out there. And so it was just kind of a funny, you know, everyone's kind of waiting for yeah. someone else to push them along rather than really grabbing their mantle and jumping into, you know, this is what I'm responsible for. Right. And, and you, you said it perfectly because my pastor speaks about that of how a lot of people throw it back on the church, but why don't you do this? Or why doesn't the church do that? And, and the realization is in our times now, a lot of people push the church away from certain, um, certain initiatives because in their mind they're thinking oh they're gonna come and force god on me and force this on me instead of just saying well people really want to help they might try to spread some word about it to help them out but in their mind they're already gonna fix that well they're gonna try to force the lord on me force the bible on me force this on me and so a a, a lot of pastors don't want to go through that route because if they want to help then they're looked at as oh you're forcing something or you're force feeding and then you like you said you also have some people that they just don't want to get moving or they don't want to be the first person to take, to take that leap. You know, I mean, it, it's always waiting for somebody else to do it. And I'm like, Hey, I go ahead and do that. You have some people that rather be in the background that just donate. And, um, I believe that's the, the, the route I took with like, I just want to do, you know, so my first thing of doing was back in 2011, um, a local uh, private school here, Gilman, um, held a summer camp. And I did a, a sports fit day. So I, I, I got invited there. I spoke to the kids and I had them doing exercise and stuff, got them moving. My next visit was to a local uh, pediatric hospital here in Baltimore, Mount Washington Pediatric Hospital, where I spent two hours with a young man that had uh, some, um, he had a trach in his neck, but just alive and bubbly and being my host and walking me around. And then after a while, I started taking photos and start doing things that, you know, people tell me like, well, people need to know what you're doing in order to get that help. So, and it is blossom, but you have to have someone that's willing to, again, like they say, take that leap and get it started. Um, whether it's one person in there, whether it's a kid that's getting something started. And then I believe everybody pick it back on. 
But I think now you're starting to see more and more organizations pop up because I believe people are starting to realize that we can't sit back and wait. You know what I mean? Because by, by the time we sit back and wait, by the time the powers that be get to our calling or get to our issues, another issue that came up. So it's like, I think people now are like really taking the, the, the reins, you know, by the hands and like, let's get in. And then we'll seek help from the powers that be. Now you mentioned how for you, you know, you've, and you didn't really say chase money, but you, you said right. that people kind of get misaligned and then they sort of wake up to what really matters. What was that moment for you? Um, I believe once I came back from uh, New York, it was seeing, you know, in, in the community of how certain things were down, you know what I mean? So my push was getting kids active, being motivated. So in 2011, I wanted to see kids get active. I still had that kid in me, you know, so the f- first place I went to was my youngest daughter's school when she was in elementary school and was like, I want to come do a sports fit day. I want to take over the whole school. And they was like, okay. <laughs> so how would it look like? Like I come in, you know, we'd be in a gym and you know, I can get the kids motivated, um, exercise and jumping jacks just to start bringing that back into existence. And I think there's around the time that Michelle Obama started pushing her um, let's move uh, campaign. And, you know, where the, like, we, we start to see where the whole uh, obesity thing was starting to kick in. And, you know, and doing these sports fit dates we're starting to get the kids active. You know, they was happy to do it. And we're doing different sport fit days at different schools. You know, you got to, I got to connect with kids on different levels. Uh, of course, the NFL tags will pull everybody in. But then when they start to see what the, the, the mission is and my initiative for this was, it was, it was definitely exciting. So they opened doors to me doing wellness nights at certain um, schools, you know, having stations set up where kids are doing squat jumps, star jumps, push ups, running high knees. And then from that, start to grow into doing other stuff, slipper drives with uh, children's hospitals, you know things for homeless shelters, just starting somewhere and it's starting to branch off. So at that moment in 2011, after I visited the Gilman camp and Mount Washington Pediatric Hospital, I like, yeah, it's time to hit this gas pedal and see where we can go with this. And were you ever just like, um, like, did it ever feel temporary? Like, oh, this is just something I'm doing? Or, or as you started getting into it, were you already thinking about like this being something that's going to be part of your really just forever part of your life? Um, early on, it was kind of like, all right, I'm going to start this and see what happens. But then after, you know, my co-founder, Melissa Brown, came on board, the idea started to, to, to blossom. Um, that's one thing I believe everyone should do. If you're going to get into the the uh, philanthropy field, to also bring like-minded individuals with you, people mm-hmm. who see the same way you see or who care about the, the same things you care about. It don't have to be the, the same mission. It had to be children and families. It can be something, but as long as it's something giving back and that way more and more ideas will pop out. And that's how we started doing more and more stuff. You know, we went from a slipper drive to a band-aid drive. It's things that you we take for granted, but in a children's hospital, having a cartoon character band-aid is like the, the greatest thing on earth because you have young kids that are in hospitals for days, weeks, months at a time and have that famous character. Even if they don't have a cut on them, brightens their day. That's the reason why we started the slipper drive. You know, so, and, you know, 2011 go past, 2012 go past, and here we are, 2020, and I'm on my eighth year of doing my slipper drive, where this month we are visit Kennedy Krieger Institute here the day after Valentine's Day and take over 150 pairs of slippers to the kids. And like you asked, I didn't know. I didn't, like, which way we want to go, you know, and 
and make this thing blossom. And here we are. We, we're still trucking along and people actually look forward to our emails for our slipper drive. Now, sorry, I mean, is it a nonprofit or are you just going from like one initiative to the next? So the way we set it up, we haven't got, um, I haven't got my nonprofit tag because the, the answer to my initiatives was so great that people just donate the slippers. So yeah, the winter, the fall and the winter, I do my, um, my visit to the men's shelter. And then from the winter all the way until the um, new year, in the new year until July, we do our slipper drive. So we have people over the past years that have been donating and giving slippers and we just go contact them, let them know who I am and, you know, what we're doing, send them links to other visits we did with slippers and people just, it's amazing the, the, how people are just so excited for us to bring slippers in. And of course, mostly it's the adults, especially when they see the type of slippers we bring in and they like so excited. And then every year, as soon as we make the email, oh, we was hoping to hear from you guys. We can't wait for you to come back. You know, to the point we're up to nine children hospitals, including three out of the state of Maryland, you know, wow. so it, it's just crazy. <laughs> and then I, I know you're, you're a coach too during the day. Yeah. Are you teaching too? Yeah, I work at, I work in the um, school system, Baltimore County public school system um, and, and started a mentoring program there to, uh, to help young African-American boys just to see that potential um, to give them an outlet and to give them tools Um also coach uh, at a local uh, private high school here, Loyola um, Blakefield. Um, and that's another way because the, the young men had gravitated to going on some of my initiatives, you know, to our healthy snack drive for one of the camps here that catered to homeless kids. So they come down every year. The um, winter cold and tourist drive we just did. One of my players came, him and his dad bought all these clothes for the men. So each place I go, I like to kind of like, wiggle that idea of giving back and um, at a younger age, because I didn't see it until I got older. You know, um, when you're younger, you don't pay mind of that. You want, 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 you know, and you don't think about giving at a young age. It's all you can get. So trying to instill that to, well, as the kids I work with in my, my job or I coach, you know, the littlest thing can make somebody smile. And I had to learn that along this whole route of doing this organization. Well, man, I, man, I, I'm a little, uh, I'm kind of hard to, I'm having a hard time believing who you are. Cause I, so during, let me just get this figured out here. You're a teacher and a coach, which uh-huh. already in and of itself, <laughs> here's the deal. I was a high school teacher in Houston. And so uh-huh. you are already doing it. Uh, how many years you've been teaching? So I, uh, in between the, with the Jets, I uh, was a substitute teacher the past time left that. Then I came back to doing um, group homes. Then I got back into the school system around 2013. And then I've been Baltimore City as a one-to-one. 2014 to 2016, I was a paraeducator. So I was working yeah. in a special education field. Yeah. Yeah. And 2016 to currently, I've been a behavior interventionist since 2016 at a middle school now. So I went from Middle school, the high school, high school back down to middle school where I'm at, I'm at now. Yeah. So you're, you're in special education currently? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you are, because <laughs> uh, I never taught special ed, but a good friend of mine right now, he's a special education teacher. Man, he is a person characterized by patience. And just, he's the most incredible, joyful person in the world. So you are a teacher during the day. You're, I mean, 
And here's the deal. I don't care what anyone who's listening thinks. Teaching is like the ultimate sacrificial job. And it's oh, yeah. really, it's a thankless job. And it's yeah. like, I say it's a thankless job because teachers are notoriously blamed first when things go wrong <laughs> and something's not working. It's always blamed on the teacher. Right. And, and I mean, man, in some cases, and I don't know if this is the case for you, but for me, I had kids whose parents weren't necessarily present. And yeah. so I was spending more time with them than their own family was. And so you're already investing heavily during the day. I'm amazed you have the energy on the side to like be going and doing these massive initiatives. I mean, it it just feels like what you're doing in a single year (laughs) is more than some people will do their entire lives, which is, I'm just really curious, man. I'm just listening to you thinking like, man, I'm, I'm trying to peg the drive that's just in you and seeing how, how can we replicate that into other people? Yeah, it's, it's tough. And you said it, you know, I mean, I don't care whether you're in special ed or you're in general education. Once you decide to take that course to be a teacher of any sort, whether the paraeducator, one-on-one teacher, you definitely are taking on more than just that nature of being a teacher because you have to, uh, I call it reprogramming. So you, you get your kids on a flow Monday through Friday. They go home. They there. You don't see them for the whole weekend. You don't like you say. You don't know what's going on on the weekend, or you don't know what's going on that night. And they come back. Now you gotta jumpstart that back up, which you've been instilling, and they, they get them to buy back into what you're selling, and then boom, it's all. It's, you gotta redo it again. So you know, it was just it, the, the drive every day is just wanting to see us as people and that's no matter what race it is to do better so and i and knowing that people look for certain initiatives that we do because to be honest i had moments where i was like i'm tired i don't want to do the you know i mean the the philanthropy stuff again and then i get a text hey just checking to see if you was doing that um the winter coat and tools you drive for the men's shop again this year and i'm like yeah i'm gonna go ahead and put the uh flyer (laughs) and send it over to you and that what drives it and then once i get to certain places just to see the look on that face, for instance, December 22nd, we visit the West Side Men's Shelter here in Kingsville, Maryland. This was our fifth year doing it. And for men older than me, and I'm 39, to come to me and shake my hand and hug me like, man, we appreciate it. You know, it, you know we're blessed to have you come for a gently used coat and a, a bag of uh, toiletries. You know, you know, a lot of the stuff along this journey has made me humble, even going into children's hospitals of how, you know, I complain or we complain as a people every day about certain stuff. But here you got kids that have to wait to leave the, the hospital if they can. And just giving them a pair of slippers is like bright in that day or the men that we visit the shelter to watch the football game with and give them like food and how excited they get to get coats, you know, and they're walking around with their coat on and the shoes on right there in the facility. And you'd think that you gave them a million dollars or brand new Mercedes Benz or something. So that that thing, that's the thing that drives me each initiative that we do in a way I set it up for seasonal. So we have our fall and winter, we have our spring, we have our summer and the fall is kind of like the turn down time to reprogram, go back to the drawing board to see if we wanted to add something and to have my breaks. My breaks is in the fall when I coach, but then I'm like deadlock on football and I allow other people to, do stuff. Uh, so yeah, it, that, that's what drives me every time. If I get 
a message from someone or going into certain places and how excited the people get that, you know, I'm there along with my team. So I think that's the, the fire that keeps going every year. Now, it's incredible listening to you because I've heard people, I've even said this myself. I mean, I've heard people say like, oh, if I won the lottery, I would, you know, give like all these things to people who are in need. But the two things I've heard you mention is something as simple as a coat and yep. something as simple as a cartoon Band-Aid. Yeah. And, and I, I wonder if sometimes it, we keep ourselves from getting engaged because we think about it needs to be gargantuan or massive yeah. when really there's, it feels like there's a lot of impact we can make in a very simple way. Yeah. And it, it, it can be as much as just spending time, like a lot of organizations around, you know, I had a friend of mine um, when we got connected um, and she told me, she was like, I have a lot of friends that want to give, but they don't know where to give to. And I started out by training her son when he was in high school for his uh, football wise. And I so happened to talk where she saw follow me and how I operate. I'm very humble, so I don't say much. And, you know, and she started kind of like yelling at me, like, why didn't you tell me you do this? Why didn't you tell me you do that? And I'm like, yeah, we have our super drive going on. And then next thing I know, she's like, send me the flyer. And she bought me big, gigantic. Ziploc bags full of slippers. Um, one year, the same thing with coats. You know, she, I have tons of friends that don't know where to donate at or how to help. You know, even her son's baseball team did the healthy snack drive, so they collected all these um, different snacks, waters, and when we took them down to the Camp St. Vincent Paul, we filled that pantry up. So, uh, I think when people come on board and they see the stuff I post, they see, well, hey, so you telling me? donating a case of water that costs about $3.60 can get me started. I'm like, yeah, I say it's not just the case of water. It's just you going to give it to people and seeing their faith of what means a lot to them to what means little to us. Because us, a case of water, we drink what half a bottle sometimes and throw it away. We have people that, you know what I mean? They take that and they cherish certain things like that. And mm. I think, if we get that out of our mind that it had to be huge, it can eventually get there. If we start small, it, you know, it'd be amazing what we could do as a group of people. Yeah. And tell me, tell me what you think about, cause I run in this, I run into this sometimes too, where I almost have to reeducate someone in their perception mm -hmm. of someone who's homeless, for example, right. like maybe I'm bringing, cause even through, through my business or, or work that I've done in the past, I'll sometimes take people from their businesses to like the homeless shelter or like a halfway house or, or what have you. And I remember I took a group of, of, of leaders to this halfway house with my last company and there was some chatter around, uh, we were serving a meal, we were making spaghetti and serving it. And there was just some like side comments on, you know, I wonder what they're here for. And like, I wonder if it's their fault even. Right. And I've even seen stuff like that play out too on like, even like drives for the homeless shelter on people who are kind of, and, and you know, maybe we just need to call it what it is. It's, it's kind of just judgment, right? Yeah. Like that person isn't, you know, if they're in dire need, it's their own fault. How, how, how do you help re-educate people? How do you help get people mentally in the right place to really give freely? What does that look like for you? Um, for me, it's just continuing my actions because I've, that, you know, the shelter that I visit, I have men that, you know, and I'm just meeting them for the first time that will open up and tell you that whole story. 
And some all some some of their stories, some of the guy, the men I met, their stories all based around drug use. You know, what I mean, whatever way it is, they're at a point where they need help. Um, so in my mind, I try to show people, and again, and I go back to our youth because if we start with them, by the time they grow, then their mindset to be a certain way that no matter what it is, uh, helping them, whether they accept it and they still upset at that moment, some point along that time after we leave, after you leave, something's going to click in for them that, wow, you know, a complete stranger gave this to me, you know what I mean? Where if I reach out to family, they probably cut ties because they tried over and over again where I have somebody coming in and they probably assuming that everybody's judging when they come in. I've ran into some men in the shelters that have that negative, that negative energy and you can tell it. And you, I would hear like some other men was like, man, street stuff, man. Like, like what's your, what's your deal? You know what I mean? They just walk off. But at the end of the day, my mindset is always, if, if it's 10 in the room, if I can help one to two of them, then I did the job that I wanted to do. Cause at some point, the other nine or eight are going to see how that person start to rise up and they're going to like, I want to get on board with that as well. You know, last year visiting there, you know, I had a man where I was able to get a barber to come and cut his hair. And a guy like, man, I feel like a, a new man, you know, new haircut. He walked around with the coat that we had, the coats we had. And like, I feel like a new man, something simple as a haircut. And I had the same, it's the same situation with a good friend of mine's when I was probably in my fourth year doing my slipper drive. And, and I said, you know, I'm going to the, uh, I'm going to this children's hospital to take slippers. And his comment was, man, they need more than, than slippers in the hospital. They need money. I said, well, the, I was like, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I said, but the money not going to get them out of the hospital if they have an illness. The money, you might well just burn it, you know, and put it in the fireplace. And it, the thing that, that kind of, I think, drilled them in and made them humble was that the following year, his child had to go in that same children's hospital. And then his whole notion just flipped because it's like, wow, now I'm in that place now. You know <laughs> what I mean? And it's like, no, who didn't visit her, this and that. And I was like, yeah, I got some flippers for it. Then he started to see it in a different way because some of the caretakers there, you know, had found out that he was, uh, we were best friends. We was good friends. And they was like, oh, and was they were so excited. You know, what we do, we go there every year and it kind of ch- changed that mood. And like I said earlier, when we first started, sometimes it takes, something devastating, whether small or big for somebody to click. And I hate for it to happen that way, but sometimes, unless you see it for yourself, sometimes with some people, it just takes something happening that make them shift and see life in a different, in a different manner. Yeah. I mean, it's the old adage of, you know, walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Right. And um, you know, really what you're talking about, it's, it's giving dignity to people. You know, something as simple as bringing that barber to get the guy's haircut. Yeah. I mean, you are, you're placing dignity on him. And I've noticed that sometimes when we talk about people who are in need, we, we sometimes remove that dignity and treat them yeah. as, as lesser. And one of the biggest eye-opening things for me was I was in Chicago and I was working with this organization. Uh, well, I was actually, I wasn't working like professionally with this organization. I was just with this organization and, um, one day we had to pack a brown bag lunch and then we had to go out to the streets of Chicago and find a homeless person to have, have lunch with. And so you had to okay. bring two brown bags, one for you and one for the other person. And I remember afterwards we were debriefing, we were all talking about having done this and the guy who was leading it 
said, Blake, you know, what did you think about it? And I was like, man, it was just amazing. I just, I'd never thought to the level of um, empathy towards this person, like hearing their story and hearing what they went through. And I kept saying, what I kept saying was, you know, they, 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 and I, and me. And finally he interrupted me and he said, Blake, what, what do you think it would take for it to move from instead of they, them versus I, me for it to be we and us and to think of it that way. Um, And similarly on that point, I, I do work with some like social entrepreneurship groups locally and there was a survey done of um, some food food bank programs here. Mm-hmm. And one of the number one things that they found in terms of the challenge of serving people is actually that many people who are receiving those services feel shame and they feel yeah. you know, embarrassed. And so it actually prevents them from um, really getting the help they need. And so overcoming that dignity piece and really giving it to people, it feels like that is something that's really, it can be really powerful when it comes to impacting people well. Yeah. And I think, and you know, I think that the number one, I know they should say this with, with, with us as men, like our number one killer as a people is pride. You know, sometimes we allow pride to dictate our journeys. Um, I've noticed, and I've done, I've done that in my college days where my pride would get in the way instead of extra help when I was struggling in class. You know, eventually I had to cut that pride to be able to get that help to be able to graduate because prior to that, getting all A's and B's in high school, middle school, this and that, and I get to college and my pride is like, well, my pride wasn't going to allow me to ask for help. I'm going to figure it out, but I was struggling. You know what I mean? I think even past education factor, being in school, sometimes our pride get in the way of opening up to people and say, yeah, I need help, you know, and not worrying about the judgment. And it's not a bad thing because like you said, going to food banks or even, you know, that the, the guy I was telling you about visiting the shelter, you know, I mean, if you believe you was up here at one moment and the next thing you know, boom, you crash down. The last thing you want to see one is another man. Uh, Cause you know how they're going to judge you. Then two, uh, a female, because, Man, I suppose we looked at as the the high the totem pole to take care of everybody else. So sometimes it's cutting out pride for that moment. Not saying you had to do away with it totally, but for that moment to allow help to come in and it, it might evolve us to 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 be better, whether you're on the other side serving or not. Because I believe, like you said, sometimes when people are in that motive, they're either forced to give because it's a, a company or a job thing, or in their mind, let me do this deed to check something off my my list for the moment until they really see it and say like, wow, you know what I mean? This is more than just checking off something off my list. This is really is going on. You know what I mean? Despite of the the going out buying things, partying and stuff like that. It's like this stuff is really going on in our world. And sometimes you do get you do get smacked in the face because in our mind, you know, we believe that nothing happens in our great United States because we the greatest country, but we do have certain things going on that we can help out people with as people. Now, how do you, I mean, and you know, obviously <laughs> it's tre- it's a treacherous game for me to get into politics, but how do you stay positive, especially with all the noise, you know, how do you stay positive and help people really focus on here's the real impact we can have in our local area? Um, I think the the way I do it is again, you know what I mean. It might sound cliche, just 
keep doing it and and do it by doing um you know and and even here in my city you know we have turmoil with polit- politics politicians uh all types of stuff going on here and it's like do we sit back and wait for the next person who's pitching to us to run their game or do we get it started and then if you have ones that we claim to be real or, or really want to know what's going on come on board to see what we're doing um you know i just my thing is just to, to keep plugging away despite what's going on because what's going to happen whether it's on a state or local level or even the federal level it's going to happen regardless you know what i mean i think that's how i take it like it's going to happen regardless but i cannot allow that to stop what i think my mental mission is is to help people around and even if they can span out you know like we do and helping people outside you know and because you never know what that can do for the next person so even if it's starting small word of mouth i believe is the biggest marketing tool than anything i mean you can buy you can hire any marketing profession you want but word of mouth is like the best the best key in the last two years we've traveled as our last hospital visit has been to new high park in long island so when i was with the new york jets we were on long island and they have a Ronald McDonald House in New High Park. So last July, we visited there for a second year, you know, and we bought, had to be like two to 300 pairs of slippers. And, you know, and, you know, in New York being a big mountain pot and Ronald McDonald House sit right next to that hospital to where the families go back and forth to see their kids. And we bought, we had like a table full of slippers and, uh, you know, families coming up and, they're asking like, how much do they cost? You know, some barely can speak English, some can't speak English at all. I'm like, no, you can have, you know, and just to see that shoulders just drop, like, really? Like someone's giving me something, you know, it it bothers me the fact that people feel like they have to pay for everything. So it, it you know, even if it seems like it's free or it's good, to them is a catch behind it. Like, why would someone just do this to do it? And then once we talk to them and let them know, it's like, Wow, thank you. You know, and it's looking at their, they have a, a screen there to tell you where their families come from. And the families that we have given slippers to have come from different states and different countries. And just to be able to shake their hand and they want to take pictures with me and me and my family, that starts, I believe, the the, the wheels turning up. Then they can go home. Like, where do you get these slippers from? Of course, they're going to say, well, this guy and his family at Ronald McDonald House, they gave this. And then they keep going on and keep going on. So I think. You know the, the word of mouth and just to keep your actions going to keep allowing people to, to to see that there is hope out there man i'm just blown away I, I i my mind is already spinning thinking about uh where where do i need to get involved here and i'm right. thinking do i need to do a slipper drive i don't know man <laughs> you know what i mean it was in how we started it, it was like i wanted to do something original because I, I also think a lot of people uh, latch on to something that's already been been created because if it's already been created it's less street work or footwork that you have to do you know mm-hmm. and here in maryland when we decided to do the slipper drive we know people did shoe drives we know people always did the thanksgiving dinners and things like that i want to do something completely different original that no one did and when uh melissa had read off for university of maryland children hospital like that wish list and she was going down, going down. They said, slipper drive. Like, hold on, let's go back to that. And I'd never seen one do a slipper drive. So we started it. Here we are, 2012. We collected probably a little over 100 pair of cartoon character slippers and took it in 
and kids lit up. You know, I'm just like, wow. I like, you know, <laughs> these are cartoon character slippers. But again, you know, being in a situation where you're not in your house, you're not home, you're not for your toys, but I get to see my favorite car- character slipper on my feet while I walk around the hospital, that brings me joy and that, it caused me to want to expand even more. So um, the littlest thing, again, you know, I hate just keep going on it, but the littlest things can help us and help, you know, open our ears up the same way what you do in your podcast or giving advice. You know, when a friend of mine tagged me in it to, to put my name in the mix, you know what I mean? They got something from you. And I, my thing was, well, they wouldn't tag me in nothing if it wasn't worthwhile. So, like, of course, I'm going to jump right on board and, and, and join in. I think that's the thing. If people have genuineness from somebody, they're going to follow suit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, uh, what's the expression? Um, man, I'm going to butcher it. It's something about like, all it takes is a single match to like, yeah. whatever, set something yeah, on fire. Right. Fire, <laughs> <laughs> well, man, we are out of time. I, 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 I'm so like enthralled by you. I wish I had gotten more time to like really dig into, you know, I'm just, I'm wondering if you were at, if you were rambunctious as a kid or if you were as noble as you are now, uh, we I, mean, I was rambunctious. <laughs> <laughs> I was super energetic, rambunctious. But the crazy thing, though, Blake, was that I always wanted to do something to help kids. I remember in middle slash high school, I was like, yeah, I make it to the NFL. I want to come back. I want to open my own rec center because I always had it in mind. I think that's from, you know, growing up in Baltimore City and and wanting to have those places to go to. And when I finally got into Woodlawn Rec to play football at, at 10 years old, it was like, you know, just as a small place, but even though it's football, I see everybody after games running around playing throw up tackle with each other. But it, it's like people you don't kids you don't know except for through the football, the football scene where there's something to jumpstart something. The same way you think about it when people go to happy hours and stuff, they join, they high five at their favorite game, um, they watching on TV, and at the game everybody spread off. Like you know, I just wanted something to where everybody come together, and whether it was. Uh, doing the foundation stuff that I do or uh, anything I do, even with the children book. I, uh, I lost, lost the audio, Tavon. Hello. Oh, hey. Okay, <laughs> Got okay. you back. Okay. Yeah. I'll, just, I'll just know that last bit must have been really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it just, you know, just, you know, just continuing on with just bringing us together in some some fashion, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, man, what, what can my listeners do right now to follow you, to engage with you? What do they need to go do? Um, I definitely say if they wanted to know more about my organization, go to Tavon Mason Loves. That's what I asked, lovethekids.org. They can get a glimpse of everything that we do. Um, they can hit the TML TKF TV tab. I got video of some of the stuff that I did. You know, follow me here on LinkedIn. Um, uh, Twitter, T Mason 18, TML TKF, and Instagram is Tavon Mason Love the Kids and Mr. Underscore T Mason. And um, any questions, just contact me. I don't hesitate at all to answer. Yeah. All right. Well, Tavon, thanks for being on the show today. All right. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And for the listeners, I'll put his contact information, I'll put all those resources down in the podcast description. Uh, as always, man, if you love this episode, feel free to give us a five-star review. Subscribe to the podcast if you aren't yet, and we'll continue to bring you some good advice for wherever you are in your career. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you later. See ya.